All right, what's up? Welcome in GC Live Wednesday episode. All right, sorry for the late start. Obviously, a <laughs> little bit of a crazy day so far. Crazy week, honestly. No show on Monday this past week, or this week, I should say, this past Monday, as uh, we were honoring the life and legacy of Tommy Moody. And um, then fast forwarding to today, a lot going on, obviously, in Game Cognition. We're going to try to get to as much of that as we can. But first, uh, we're going to tell you about our friend, Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933. Clint is a mortgage broker here in the Columbia area. His office is right across the road from Dreher High School. And whether you live in Columbia or anywhere in the great state of South Carolina, Clint wants to help you live that dream and buy a home. He's going to walk you through the process. Interest rates certainly not in a great spot right now compared to where they were a few years ago. but Still, if you want to live out that dream and you want to know what kind of options you have and, and and maybe somebody who can come up with a very creative plan for you, Clint is that guy. Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage, clinthammond.com. And uh, I'll be honest, guys, because we did not have a show on Monday, we actually have a couple of extra reads we need to hit. So, uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and let's tell everybody about Trey Harrell. Yeah, our good friend, Wes, Trey Harrell, he is an awesome guy. And he was actually recently voted the best personal injury attorney by the readers of the Post and Courier. Congrats again to Trey for that. Congrats, Wes, to his clients, right, or his future clients, because, you know, with a guy with reviews like that, tons of five-star reviews on Google, too. If you go Google Trey Harrell, personal injury attorney, uh, they are getting outstanding service, and so will his future clients. Now, of course, we hope that you don't have to call Trey, to be quite honest, because he helps people a lot of times that are injured in auto accidents all over Gamecock country, all over the state of South Carolina. But if you are in that unfortunate position, if you find yourself there, if you find a family member or a friend there, Trey Harrell is someone you want to call because he can help you. Trey helps. Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok is where you can find him. That's his handle, at Trey Helps, because he can help you. Don't go at it alone if you've been injured in an auto accident in the Palmetto State. Find an attorney who's going to fight for you, fight to get you what you deserve. Find an attorney who helps. Trey helps. Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, or attorneyherald.com. All right. Um, guys, we got a lot to get to. I had planned to maybe give some final thoughts on Missouri. Then we're going to get into the coordinators. Then, of course, this news comes out today. South Carolina freshman defensive lineman Zay McLeod no longer with the South Carolina football team. This is something Chris and I have been tracking since, uh, I guess, late this morning into the afternoon. And we were at the point where we knew that was true. But I, I think the the question I had, Chris, um, you know, it was, is, is this fluid? Is this something where there is still a possibility for him to return to the South Carolina football team? Is this something that could be more of a bump in the road as opposed to there being some, you know, a, a final decision? I guess technically we still do not have that answer. You never know what can happen in life. However, as of right now, it is completely official that McLeod is no longer with the South Carolina football team, is no longer on the South Carolina football team. That news being confirmed um, actually not too long ago by a South Carolina athletic department spokesman. So the news in terms of that 
is official. McLeod's someone that I think, you know, you could say was kind of in the mix for that fifth interior defensive line spot. If you look at how the rotation had gone, we know Taka Hemingway, um, Boogie Huntley, TJ Sanders, Nick Barrett. That was kind of your top four. That was your rotation. But then you look at kind of who was going to be in there after that. And McLeod had kind of assumed that role. And, you know, as a kid, as a four-star guy, in-state get for South Carolina from right down the road at Camden. A little bit of a whirlwind recruitment that South Carolina won out in the end and um, was certainly noteworthy. And now, you know, I guess we can share also was a, a sign something like this could happen when McLeod was not on the travel list this past week with Jamal Weiss essentially taking his spot as South Carolina's fifth interior defensive lineman. Yeah, and I mean, Wes, I was actually talking to you. We, we knew that there had been um, some issues, I guess you could say, to kind of take people behind the curtain to where we weren't tracking it to this extent, right, as we started tracking this morning before this story came out. Um, but I was, I've actually been working on a piece on the defensive line. And I kind of asked you this morning for some feedback on kind of how exactly to structure what I wanted to say about Xavier McLeod. Right. And then not long after that, we start getting some, some signs that maybe something bigger, you know, was happening, something more final. And the thing about McLeod is, man, there's a lot of natural ability there. That's always been there. You saw it in spurts in high school. You saw other times in high school where, to be quite frank, at Camden, it wasn't much of a factor. But then even at South Carolina, Wes, we, we would get little snippets of practice, and you would go and you'd watch him do some drills and go, man, like that kid could really be good if he put it together. Um, so far, that had not happened at South Carolina. So unfortunate situation there all around. And let me let me bring this to a bigger point, actually. And you may you may want to go back to Zay specifically and stay on it. But look, you start looking now, Wes. There's been so much talk about depth on this team, right? And so obviously, when you take over a team in December 2020 that had won two games and four the year before, it stands to reason that there will need to be some roster. Um, upgrading at certain spots. And there were certainly some good, very, very good players left on this roster. But you know, if you're not taking over a program that won 10 games, eight games, you got some roster work to do, right? You also come in at a time where um, you're in COVID, right? You're a brand new staff taking over a team that just won two games during the COVID year. Um, you, and by the way, you can't recruit anybody. You can't go evaluate anybody on the road. And you can't have anybody on campus, right? So setting the stage for that, start in South Carolina's 2021 recruiting class, which is Shane Beamer's first class, but I don't really even count it. TJ Sanders was a holdover commitment. You sign him. He's got a chance to be really good. He's already a pretty good player. Really good player, actually. Nick Barrett was another holdover. You signed him. He's a guy that's given you some depth, right, this season. You also took Jakeem Green in that class as a transfer. He did not work out at South Carolina. 
ultimately we have to program, right? So those were your interior D-line takes in that class. You go to 2022, if it'll pull up for me. I want to make sure I get everybody here. 2022, um, you've got Felix Hickson. You signed Jamal Weiss, who you just mentioned, Wes. Demetrius Watson, who has since transferred. And DeAndre Martin. Now, it's not like those guys are fourth-year guys, fifth-year guys. But so far, not a lot of playing time between those guys. And there's playing time to be had behind these top three guys. Then you go to, you go to the 2023 class, which was overall, you know, Shane Beamer's best class. Had some really good players in this class. Elijah Davis is in that class. He's since moved to edge. McLeod was in that class. He's obviously no longer with the program. Monique Rames was an edge, so not a defensive lineman, but he's not with the program. Um, was there another interior defensive lineman in that class? No, there was not. Drew Tuizama is a transfer who has played who played inside against Florida. So you can see there, Wes, I just mentioned, rattled off all those names. And what what is kind of the theme? Well, 2021, 22, 23, and then the 24 class, you look at what they have committed or more accurately what they don't have committed, the interior defensive line. It, it's kind of alarming, right? And for a guy in McLeod, this was a young guy that you knew there was a ways to go. But this is honestly someone that, that, quite frankly, you really needed to stay in the program and develop and be able to play. And now you're looking at it going, man, not only do they need numbers, but they need some impact guys next year because they could get Sanders and Boogie Huntley and Tonka Hemingway back. But they need more behind those guys, and they need more in the pipeline also. Yeah, I mean, 2025 class on the defensive line, um, the interior – is massive at this point, but you're going to have to, you know, they offered a junior college guy, uh, was that last week, I guess, Chris. And so, you know, Jerome Simmons, that, that now becomes, I think an important target for you, but you're going to, you're going to have to fill that thing in a variety of ways. I think high school, Juco and transfer portal, obviously, um, we got to take care on Facebook, uh, that says Beamer barely plays freshman, I mean, if you're starting two true freshmen on the offensive line, like I think you can, you can certainly find a variety of things to pick away at a two and five season. Like there, there's enough there to point to as being a negative if you want to find it when you're two and five. But not playing freshman, just frankly, is not one of them. I mean, you don't start literally a freshman left tackle in Athens if you, quote, barely play freshmen. So don't really buy that. Don't really buy that there was anybody in that foursome there that McLeod should have been playing ahead of. And um, just to point it out, this was not a playing time thing. This is not this is not McLeod leaving, you know, because he wasn't playing enough. So let, let's just put that out there as a fact um that's not what this was by by any means so that Wes, they have just, Fred, sorry, to, sorry sorry to interrupt you I, I was doing a quick count by the way i mean out of the freshman class and, and I, I did it so quickly it's probably not even right 16 true freshmen have played in some form or fashion and a couple of them are starting many of them are playing 
somewhat significant roles, even if they're not starting. So I, I just it'd be hard to play more freshmen right now. You, you honestly would like to play less, if anything, this season. Sorry to interrupt. Just wanted to get that out there. No, yeah, it's a good point, man. Um, they, they've played freshmen, and like I said, you, there's enough to find in the two and a five season to say, hey, this is an issue, that's an issue, but not playing freshmen, in my opinion, is, is not one of those. So, yeah, I, I think it, it doesn't really so much hurt you for the right now. It it more so hurts you for the what um, what could have been if he had been able to put it all together because we like to look at potential and uh, you know this was an SEC bodied defensive lineman I, I think is what you look at but um, you know that we also have to remember there's 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 always blame to go around in these situations and it also is ultimately going to be up to the player himself to develop into what he wants to be at the end of the day as well. So we'll just leave it like that. Um, for now, Preston says a freshman is our leading tackler, which is actually making my point Preston that they are, are playing true freshmen. Uh, I, do you, do you have anything else to add right now on McLeod? Chris, no, I think I think we adequately covered that one for now, Wes. Yeah, let, let's move along to uh, the game itself and coordinators speaking today. And I actually, frankly, did so. Limbo did end up speaking as well. I guess I did not get to hear that part from bouncing around, trying to get some content up, trying to get confirmation on this McLeod stuff. So don't really have anything to add on that. But we'll talk offense and we'll talk defense. Chris, off the top here, is there anything from anything anyone said today, or we can go back to Beamer yesterday if you want, that stands out to you the most? Well, I, I once again, Wes, really liked what Dowell Loggins had to say. Um, once again, you know, he got to be philosophical Dowell Loggins. He, he really took us, I think, behind the curtain on, on some things, which – I appreciate it, right? Um, you, you don't walk away from that Missouri game and think that it was a good performance offensively. It wasn't. You didn't get in the end zone, right? Um, but just hearing the nuance of everything and the explanations of everything. I think you made a great point the other day in saying that, you know, sometimes if 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 a coach just gives coach speak and says, well, we we got it, we got to just do better. You know, people want more, and then when you get more, it's well, that's an excuse. And so that leads me to the number one thing that stood out. Dowell Loggins said that he doesn't read the internet, West, but he he listens to GC Live, I'm now convinced, because he used almost your exact phrasing. He was talking about the offensive line coupled with the receivers, the injuries. And he, he said, it's not an excuses, it's just reality, Right. And I think that was literally the exact line. So I don't know if you stole it from him or vice versa. We'll, we'll launch an investigation. But I had not heard him uh, say it that way before. But he made some great points. And right, like Vershawn Lee against Florida playing next to Tro Ball. Tro Ball happens to have his best game as part of that. The fact that he had, you know, gotten his feet wet. Sure. But he also had Vershawn Lee who knows every position on the offensive line and has played 
I think now all of them are close to all of them in a game situation, being able to tell them, hey, in the game, here's how you handle this or watch for this. Happens to have his best game, right? Then, of course, he goes down with injury. But he talked a lot about how difficult it is to effectively practice when you have, what, eight to ten guys banged up on the offensive line and a lot of the issues that they've had up front and how they're kind of limiting factors and some of the different things that you can do, you know, that you try to do. Um, he talked very frankly about Spencer Rattler's play and very frankly about, you know, Omega Blake and Nick Carber and the red zone issues that they had against Missouri. So I thought it was a really honest press conference and uh, it continues to be pretty refreshing to hear him because I like that style, Wes. I don't want to listen to a press conference and hear, well, we'll, we'll get it fixed. We just got to do better. I want to hear the logic and the explanation behind things. And I, I think he's done a, a good job with that at, at being honest about some of the issues, right? Yeah. I mean, you could, dude, you can tell not that it's on us to tell you if somebody's smart or not, but you can tell he is a sharp dude. Like he knows his stuff. And um, I, I think just has a good feel for, for ball and, and kind of beyond the X's and O's, like you talk about kind of the, the philosophical side of who he wants this offense to be, what he wants this offense to be. And um, it, it is, it's kind of honestly a little bit like when I would listen to Ellis Johnson back in the day. And, um, you know, we, we actually bumped into to Ellis Johnson at, at Tommy Moody's uh, celebration of life. And so with Ellis, and it's a little bit different, Ellis is a little bit more old school, you know, um, older guy, but, I always left an Ellis gaggle, those kind of Thursday defensive coordinator talks, and I always felt like I learned something. Like I learned something new about defense from just listening to Ellis talk, and I'd be like, oh, file that away. Like, remember that. That makes sense. And with Dow, I, I think there is a sense of that. And also you just kind of – I feel like you learn something new every time about kind of their approach on offense. And even just the simple – when he was asked – Hey, did um, did you agree with Beamer on those fourth down decisions? And of course, I already knew. Um, I think that was Jack asking that question. Uh, maybe it wasn't, but I already knew as I heard the question. I was like, "You're the OC. You, of course, <laughs> you're gonna say you agree, right? Like you agree a hundred percent." Um, and he said, "Yeah, I'm the OC. Of course, I agree with my head coach." But um, then he even said, like, hey, he's like, I mean, but I'm also an OC. I want to go for it every time, you know? Right. But uh, so it was kind of like a every OC, I'm sure, deep down is like, oh, I got a play that we can convert here. But also, I think Dow Loggins has kind of a good feel for that greater picture. Like, my, my job, I, I feel like some offensive coordinators think their top job is to score points. Mm. Your top job is to put your team in the best chance to win a game that you can from your OC seat. And most of the time, is that aligned with, hey, more points you score, better off you are, right? But not quite. There's some nuance there, I, I feel like. So from an OC standpoint, deep down, you may be like, man, I would love to go for this. But I think there's an understanding from Dow Loggins the more he, you hear him talk of the greater picture. It's not my place as the OC 
to want to go for it here. It's my place to, to, if I get asked to give my input, but if not to do to the best of my ability, what I can do to put this team in a position to, to go win. So I, I think it is very refreshing when he talks, even when he was talking about Jatavius Shivers and it was, man, this kid's put truly put together a great two weeks of practice. Is he ready to go play right now? No, he's not, according to Loggins. But did you notice even the delivery of that? At no way did it sound like he was being negative or throwing a kid under the bus or uh, saying something wrong about the kid, but he let us know in a way, hey, guys, this guy's coming along for the future. That doesn't mean to expect him to start at right tackle in College Station, Texas on Saturday either. Yeah, and I think Loggins does a good job with that because he has he has this interesting blend of background where he spent, what is it, 16, 17 seasons in the NFL. The NFL is a little more black and white, right? The guys are all under contract. It's their job. Do your job or get fired, you know, type of thing. But he's also got the coaching experience, you know? I mean, he was kind of this scrappy player at Arkansas, right? Um and then he has returned to the college game and seems really well-liked by the players. Like, Spencer Rattler loves the guy. So I think he does a good job walking the line between being honest about where things stand and giving information so people aren't confused. So the point of the press conference is to give information so that people, you know, if there's an absence of information, Wes, we've seen this so many times, there will be misinformation, right? If you don't say anything about something, people will make up their own theories. They're they're going to make up a theory even if you do say something most of the time, right? But like Omega Blake is another good example. He was asked about Omega today. How is he progressing? He said, look, Omega didn't have his best game against Missouri, and we told him that, right? So he's he's taking you behind the curtain a little bit. He could have just said, Omega's coming along fine, right? And now maybe there's – there's this expectation that's not there. Hey, he's doing great. Or he could have said he's doing terrible, right? And you completely throw him under the bus. So just walking that line of giving the information while letting people know, hey, it has to be better. And he said some good things about Omega within that. I really think those things are are kind of important. The players pay attention to the press stuff too at times. Well, I think they especially pay attention, Chris, when you say something that then gets clipped out and post it on social media as a 15-second snippet video, and it comes across like you're being thrown under the bus, basically. And coaches have to be, frankly, more careful than ever about it because we don't want coach speak, but then when we don't get coach speak, oh, you threw him under the bus. So what do we really want here? I I think um, social media allows people to – criticize everything so you got you got to be kind of careful but i i do think i mean his press conferences if you're a gamecock fan or if you're south carolina media frankly have kind of been must watch each week in terms of knowing exactly where the staff is on, on that side of the ball as far as their thought process and and what's going on there let's go to the defensive side of the ball here real quick chris I thought there was an interesting point from Clayton White that 
for some people maybe didn't need to be made, but for some people I think was a important reminder. And I've seen this take because we've talked so much about nickel and the nickel back position. Well, just go play a 4-3. Just go get another linebacker on the field and play a 4-3. And Clayton White basically said, look, you can't do that in today's college football. And we've said that before. I've said that before. Other coaches have mentioned that before. Even if you are a school that you tell people, oh, we run a 4-3 base defense, or you tell, hey, we're a 3-4 defense, you're not actually in that personnel. You're not in that formation. You aren't in that look, however you want to put the semantics of it. You're not in that look for most of a game anyway because just about everybody is in a three-receiver set for their base offense these days. So they're in shotgun, they're spreading you out, and you just can't get away with that anymore in today's college football, I feel like. So you almost have to try to find that guy. I mean, South Carolina's been doing this for two decades. They used to call it a spur. You have to try to find that guy that can be part corner, part Sam linebacker, part safety, part a little bit of everything. And then I think you have to help him out too. Like you got to play pretty well around that guy because it is not easy to cover slot receivers in man coverage. But I've I've just seen this take about you got to change the scheme. And maybe that's true to an extent. But I don't think you can just go say, hey, we're going to play 4-3 defense anymore. I, I just don't think you match up that way. I actually had a, a coach who has not been a position coach at South Carolina West who texted me the other day about the whole 4-3 notion. I guess he had picked up and maybe seen some of the stuff online about it, about the 4-3 and Game Cup fans wanting to run it. And he said, why do you think that is? And I said, well, I, I don't know. Like, what, what do you think about it? And he said, 4-3 doesn't exist anymore. That that were that were his those were his words, right? Um, and then he made some other points about scheme and obviously there are a lot of different types of schemes, Wes. And we've seen schools be successful with a wide variety of schemes. But he said, you know, a lot a problem that he sees, and this guy's a defensive coach, said a lot of the problems that he sees nowadays in college football is that it's a lot of not playing blocks and reading keys. And so oftentimes when you are seeing problems, not to say that there aren't scheme problems, right? I mean, at times there are. You know, some guys are better at calling plays than others. Some schemes are better than others, putting your guys in position. But his point was, number one, you don't see true 4-3 really on a large level in college football because of how the game's evolved. And then number two, playing blocks and reading keys is still kind of what it comes down to defensively, you know, and he feels like there's a little bit of a, of a lack of that at times now in the game. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that's an interesting thing to point out. And sometimes we get so locked into, Hey, what's our team doing or what's the team 
that we're paying attention to doing, you know, you kind of forget to get the big picture of, hey, are other are other teams running the four three? Are they running three four? Not really. Like you may call that your base, but that's not really what you're in. Um, you know, now I, I have made the point about the nickelback spot. I wish they could get to the point where there was a package where you could go a little bit smaller at that spot. They now and to be completely clear, Chris, they do have a four three package. We saw them run that a pretty good bit against Notre Dame in the bowl game. And that was because Notre Dame plays so much too tight end and they're going to kind of, they're a little bit more, at least last year, they're a little bit more of an in the box team where they're going to run the football, um, get under center a little bit. And you're really, you're always trying to match up though. If they got three receivers on the field, you're going to play five defensive backs. Like that's just how it works. You're going to have two corners and then that nickelback is going to be over top of the other receiver. Then you have the two safeties either back or one of them up or how, however you want to fit it from there. But there's a reason why if you look on the sideline every single game, every single team has some version of the sign guy. And the sign guy is watching the other team's personnel every single play. And he's telling the staff on defense, is it three receivers? Is it two receivers? Is it one receiver in a goal line situation? And the defense is going to turn around and try to match up with that. So it, it really, you are, you're kind of handcuffed on what all you can do with your defense from a personnel standpoint. Um, doesn't change the fact that they've had to roll four different starting nickelbacks out there. So, yeah, it's a worthy conversation to have about fixing that spot. But I don't think it's simple or even – I don't even think it's doable just to say, oh, guys, let's go to a 4-3. That's, that's the route we're going to take. That may, maybe 30 years ago, but now not really an option. Um, what Anything else that stood out about the press conferences from you, Chris? No, I can't. I can't think of anything more earth shattering. You know, again, I, I took away the most from Dow Loggins today, and I think I kind of said my piece on, on what I thought of that one last. Um, did let's see, Limbo. I'm trying to go through here. Y'all, give me a second. I'm trying to go through these notes. I, just I've got sure. something on Limbo, Wes, because he he hit something that's been on my mind and it was driven home against Missouri actually on the kick return that Xavier Leggett ended up being injured on um, He when he took that shot. You know, South Carolina, frankly, has not been good in the kick return game. That That's just, I think, just call it like it is. They've been good in other areas on special teams, solid in others. They have not been good there. And you can tell Limbo is is bugged by that, right? He um he said today that he is determined to get it right. Um, you know that they've had they've had some mental errors there, and they've had some execution errors. So you remember the kick return against was it against Georgia West, where the staff said they were on the headset. Hey, we got a perfect call set up for what this is. They miss a block. 
they get a holding penalty, right? You get backed up. Not good. Um, then we've seen some execution errors. So that aforementioned uh, kick return from Xavier Leggett against Missouri, I mean, he got hit by about three guys, it seemed like, at the same time. Just execution errors, right? And so Limbo said it's, you know, it's just kind of looking at everything there, whether it was um, changing your personnel. They've changed out personnel there, even on special teams at times, um, or just continuing to hammer technical things, you know, that they need to get done. And I think that's been something that's gone maybe a little bit under-discussed, especially for a team that's had some some kick returns. They really get, of course, going into A&M week, Wes, had that huge kick return against the Aggies for a touchdown to open the game last year. They just haven't gotten anything out of the kick return game. And you look at Xavier Leggett, he's obviously very capable of it. Um, there have just been some issues there. And I think that's where, honestly, the personnel that you're missing from last year uh, is kind of showing this year. Yeah, for sure, man. And I, I think um, from a bigger picture standpoint, too, the special teams and, again, the, the red flags were there that – the special teams was going to have a lot of new personnel this year. And I always go back to Dow Loggins magic wand of, you know, can you just wave the magic wand and, and fix something? And I think we all know what a coach Pete Limbo is like, you are not going to find a better special teams coach in the country than Pete Limbo. But even he can't wave a magic wand and just say, Hey, no drop-off whatsoever on special teams, even though I lost this guy, that guy, this guy, this guy. Uh, now, was it possible? Was it possible that maybe these other guys just step right into those roles? Of course. However, it was not a given. And I, I think when you look at a team, you want to start talking about what-ifs and injuries on the offensive line, injuries to wide receiver. You talk about the margin for error all the time, man. Losing kind of that extra little push in your favor. How how different is the Texas A&M game last year if, if Leggett doesn't just light the stadium on fire right. by returning the opener and just interjecting your team, even your defense. Like the defense was playing with their hair on fire to start that game against a team they had never beaten in the history of South Carolina athletics in football. Um, we talk quite often how important were those blocked kicks against Georgia State. You know, you, that game's a lot tighter than anybody thinks. That You know, there, there were a lot of big plays from your special teams last year that probably get overlooked a little bit by outsiders. Well, how did South Carolina win some of these games? Well, they had a special teams edge, and it wasn't just winning small edges. It was game-changing type plays. So, you know, I, I do think it's worth the the bigger picture conversation, too. The kickoff return game, not quite there. How about the Juju McDowell kickoff return at ECU, Beamer's first year? They, they lose that game without – that putting their offense in great field position, I think. So, you know, I, I think that's something we could never really 
qualify it specifically? Like, do you win this game or lose that game? There's no way to know. But you're telling me if they didn't make if they made a game changing play against Florida, a game that was to the closest that's the closest game we've seen all year. Mm-hmm. Add in a punt block in that game. South Carolina 100% wins that game. So I, I think they've lost that little margin edge so far this year. And there were some signs with all the turnover that that could be the case. But um, the fact that it's actually happened, um, you know, I, I think is something else worth acknowledging. Yeah. And Wes, to the extent where, where they have made, there have been fewer dynamic plays this year on special teams. But when they have, uh, the rest of the team, offensively and defensively, th- this team is not has not been as adept at playing complementary football. Right? Mm-hmm. Think about Tennessee, big fake punt, great call, great execution. You get zero points out of it. You know, yep. uh, Florida, you did you blocked a field goal against Florida. I don't know if the guy would have made it or not. Probably he he hit a big one <laughs> at another point in the game. Probably would have made it. So, yeah, you wiped some points off the board yet, but the other areas, you know, they failed you, particularly your defense. Missouri, not really a call. Actually, I will say it was a South Carolina calls play. They were lining up, gearing up to block a punt. You know the Missouri punter, Luke Bauer, is going, all right, this isn't, no offense to Southeast Missouri State, but it's not them. It's South Mm -hmm. Carolina and Pete Limbo coming after you. They have a track record. They're gearing up to punt. Not a bad snap. He just drops it, right? You don't capitalize on that because you don't get into the end zone. So the complimentary football thing, it's just, again, that's why this is a complex game. It's nuanced, and all the parts have not been working together as well this year. Yeah. It, it really is. a the, the crazy thing about football, it is, is both a beautiful game and a game about 300-pounders just – absolutely trying to smash each other <laughs> yeah. up front. Awesome. That's why it's so great. All at the same time. Um, by the way, did you did you catch that little, just very tiny sentence from Loggins where he said something to the effect, and it was in the middle or the end of a completely different sort of topic, and he said, yeah, this one will probably come down to, to up front as well. And yep. just kind of that, acknowledgement maybe i'm reading way too much into a comment but i felt like that was just another kind of little subtle acknowledgement of a lot of this other stuff just doesn't matter if you can't give rattler time to operate yeah you need things to be uh more even right like i don't think this was a south carolina team that needed to be dominant on either side of the ball, like in the trenches, that wasn't going to happen anyway. If you can be dominant, first of all, I don't, people talk about dominant offensive lines a lot. Show me one. I don't know if I've seen one in a long time. Not in this league. Not in this league, especially because of, uh, primarily because a lot of the D linemen you have to go against. You know, it's a, Jimbo Fisher was talking about this the other day. I mean, it's just, there's all sorts of guys that are going to go make a lot of money rushing the passer and, you know, fighting with other 300 pounders at defensive tackle West. Um, so that's a big issue, but you know, you can, I feel like you can be more dominant on the defensive line. Jimbo Fisher was actually asked on Monday. I think it was about 
hey, man, sack numbers are up just across the league because A&M's had some trouble protecting the passer. You know, Shane Beamer was asked about that this week. And a lot of it's just there's a ton of talent, right? So you can, you know, South Carolina hasn't been, um, certainly haven't been dominant, but they haven't even affected the offensive front in the run game or pressuring the passer. They haven't been really even average in that regard, Wes. So same thing offensive line for South Carolina. If you're not able to kind of be just play the other team even, that's when you're going to start having more problems. That's when having a great talent like Spencer Rattler does not show through as much because he doesn't have as much of a chance, you know, to make an impact. And Dow Loggins, to your point, was talking about turning on the film, the cut-ups of A&M on third down. And I think he was saying there, there was not a lot of third and shorts. He said you turn on third and six, third and seven, and it's scary, right? There's a lot of problems there because they're, they're getting teams into those situations and then they're going and rushing the passer and just causing havoc and, and not music to, to the coaching, you know, any Gamecock fans' ears. And certainly, I, I'm sure, some some tough film to watch, you know, if you're the Gamecock coaching staff, some sleepless nights because obviously that's been a huge issue for this team and it's something, it's an area that A&M has, has honestly thrived in. Yeah, he said something like it was just a handful of third and short and then a handful of third and five, and then it was like, 48 third and longs or something in, in their uh, their breakdown and their clips. And, I mean, you want to talk about matchups, Chris. Like, that that's just – that is not what any Gamecock fan wants to hear. And I, I think we've we've known this. Like, it's been it's been known for, for much of the year. Hey, the, the Texas A&M front is a strength for them. And I think we all kind of circled this game and said, that's just going to be tough, man. Like, uh, I don't know how you find a winning edge there. It kind of feels to me like a game that you need to play really well defensively to have a shot. Like, you know, some games we go into and we say, well, the offense can maybe carry this. This game, the defense really has to carry you to an extent. And then you look at the struggles on that side of the ball so far. And you also just say, well, where, where's the path there? You know, where's the path yeah. to, to stopping these guys up front? Yeah, I mean, this A&M defense has been good, and and their linebackers are good. Uh, certainly got good players in the secondary, but really the strength has been in the front seven. And there are some people around the league, West that think this is the best front seven in the SEC. And whew, you think about that, you know stacking up against Georgia and, you know, other programs, that's, that's high praise. Uh, they're, they're goes back to recruiting. Like you look at the guys, the type of guys they were recruited, the rankings, the other schools that wanted these guys, this is the product that you get. And last season, yeah, it didn't click for A&M. It's still a really talented team. They had uh, other issues they had to get past, but defensively up front it's clicking for them this year. So then it goes to, well, can, you know, can you go make some plays defensively against them, you know, and ugly this thing up? They've had some issues up front on their offensive line. They've got one of the most dynamic players in the country in Anaya Smith, who Pete Limbo called a special teams coordinator's nightmare today with what he can do on offense. You definitely don't want to kick or punt to him. It'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Max Johnson's been all right for them. Certainly not a dynamic offense. They've had their issues. 
But then again, Wes, this isn't a game. You know, the question is, can Carolina's defense, you know, take advantage of that? Can they make this A&M offense look, you know, average or below average? And, and that's, you know, of course, a key question. Yeah, they, they matched up with them pretty well last year. Um, now, again, you got the big boost from that kickoff return to start, a couple turnovers off the bat, and really kind of just held on at the end. Um, all right, before we get out of here, y'all, we got plenty more to talk about with Texas A&M as the week progresses. I'm uh, going to tell you about our friends at Game Time with the Game Time app. Head on over to GameTime.co or download the Game Time app, um, whether it's this, uh, this Matt Reif uh, comedy show at the township that I keep seeing the sign for. Very funny guy, Chris. Are you familiar with him? I I have not. I've heard of him. I've not checked him out yet, but I will take your recommendation if, if I should. Well, he's cracked the Instagram algorithm. I'll tell you that because this guy shows (laughs) up on my feed all the time to the extent that I had to look him up Um, or whether it's football tickets, um, concert tickets, whatever it may be. Our friends with game time, um, we've all been through those frustrating times where you're struggling to find tickets for a good price. Uh, check out Game Time where they have all-in price options to show you your total up front. You will know exactly what great deal you're getting without hidden fees. Also, if you download the Game Time app right now, create an account, and use the code GAMECOCKS, you will get $20 off your first purchase. Terms do apply, but again, create an account, redeem the code G-A-M-E-C-O-C-K-S for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. It is so guaranteed that if you don't get the best price, if you find tickets in the same section and row for less somewhere else, Game Time will credit you with 110% of the difference. So shout-out to our friends at Game Time. Any closing thoughts, Chris? No, sir. I think I'm good. I I started – I stopped myself, Wes. I started getting into the A&M preview. But we'll okay. We'll table that for Friday. I think we're gonna have an A and M guest either live or virtual, right? Okay, yeah. On Friday, we, we will have a Texas A and M guest of some type. We are working on it, and it'll it and it'll be a good one. Yes, for sure. And let's see, real quick, got to tell you about our friends at Liberty Tax eight zero three four six two five five seven six. I know we got to get out of here, but our friend Larry. Awesome dude, awesome Gamecock. Tax season right around the corner. He'll take care of you. Take care of the people that take care of us here on GC Live. Liberty Tax here in Columbia, 803-462-5576. Again, guys, sorry for the late start. A lot going on in Gamecock Nation. The new big news today, Xavier McLeod, freshman defensive lineman, no longer on the South Carolina football team. But we'll have Mike Yuva tomorrow running his normal 2 o'clock show. Then Chris and I with the final South Carolina versus Texas A&M preview coming up. Gamecocks, A&M, and a guest for that. So appreciate y'all as always. Appreciate y'all hanging in with us and appreciate the support. Hope y'all have a great day. We'll talk to y'all soon.